Amen. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat. What a great challenge. Well, as we get ready to continue our time of worship and the Word, a question that is just priority in our study here is, what does a full-throttle church really look like? What does a full-throttle church really look like? That question has been a prevailing, a predominant question, actually, over the last especially 25 years. What does the local church really supposed to look like? My intention today is not to get into all the details of that, but to... uh, For us just to remember that amongst all the discussions and even debates or perspectives on answering that question, I'd like to remind us that the local church is about God's family. So often that discussion gets into what are we supposed to do, and that's very true. But this is about God's family. And it's about God's family living life together. Local church is designed by God, by Christ, to be about God's family living life together for His glory. It's interesting. A dictionary defines family as a multi-generational group of individuals, and get this, related by blood. Could we like take that over into the local church? It's a multi-generational group of individuals related by the blood. Cool definition. Titus 1 was about full-throttle leadership. Paul writing to Titus and telling him to put leadership in place and how important it is in the local church. Titus chapter 2 gets so much on family. Because let's understand this. The local church leadership is very important. But the local church is not just about leadership. The local church is about God's family. Living life together. For his glory. And the cool reality. There's so much talk today about the uh, multiracial worship. Which would be so cool. Heaven's going to be so cool. All tribes all colors, all languages, so cool. But there is one aspect that is left out that Titus 2 clearly addresses, and that's the fact of multi-generational. It is a very important thing. A full-throttled church is about far more than leadership. It's about multi-generational family living together for God's glory. And today, because our text focuses in on it, today we're talking about seniors. Seniors, I want you to know 
We are so glad you are here. Seniors, we need you here. But I will add this. Titus chapter 2 talks about it in this way in all reality. There's a certain kind of senior that is critical to the local church. And we're going to learn about that kind of senior today. Because again, our text talks about that kind of senior today. So let's do this. Let's open our Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And let's take a look at what a full-throttle senior is supposed to look like in God's family for his glory. Titus chapter 2. Go to Titus chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you got some people coming around with one, they'd love to have you uh, use that. Now, I realize before we go to our text, I realize that uh, um, there's a whole group of people, let's call them non-seniors, like 20s and teens and 30s and 40s and 50s who are kind of going, oh, goodness gracious. You better wake up for today because you're not talking about me today. Four reasons why you need to listen today. Four reasons, real quick. One, because God wrote about it. If God took the time to make sure that the text of his word includes discussions about seniors, then because God says it, I want to know what he has to say. I don't care how old I am. I want to know if God wrote about it, I want to know what God has to say. Okay, that's one reason. The other reason is, is because those of you who are not seniors, uh, uh, one day, Lord willing, you may be. And you need to know what God wants you to be looking like. You want to know what God wants you to be when you are at that stage. And the way to know that is to pay attention now before you get there. It's kind of like learning about marriage before you're there. It's like learning about parenting before you're there. It's like learning about how to be a hard worker before you actually have a job. Same thing here. Third, you need to know what the other members on your team are playing, what their position's like. Listen, this is about a team harvest, as we had in our logo earlier. And so I am in high school, I used to be a running back. And so as a running back, I need to know what the guys in the line are doing. I need to know what the quarterback's doing. I need to know what the wide receivers are doing. I need to know what the defense is doing. I need to know the other play. I don't have to know everything about it, but I do have to know what the other players on the team are about. Why? Because we're a team. That's the third reason. Fourth, fourth reason is, is because you're up next Sunday. <laughs> Titus chapter 2. You there? Okay. Titus chapter 2. One last thing before we get to our text, because I want to uh, uh, strengthen our small groups. Um, Chapter 3. Two key things before going to a text. One is be aware of the broad context, and then also be aware of the immediate context. So as we're we're doing this in our connection groups, our small groups around. So just real quickly, what's the broad context? The broad context is this. We are reading from which testament? New Testament. Excellent. We are reading in the New Testament. We are reading a text that is about... 30 years after Christ died, rose again, ascended into heaven. About 30 years after the church began in Acts chapter 2. We are at a period of time in the broad context of it where we're not in Israel, we're not in Spain, we're not in Russia, we're not in America, we're in Crete. 
on the island of Crete, and the, uh, the gospel has been spread beyond Israel and is now being spread around. The Apostle Paul is on the scene going all over the Gentile word with the gospel. That's, if you will, the broad context. Immediate context is we are on the island of Crete. On this island of Crete, there are a number of people who have come to Christ in the last few decades. The churches are, the new churches are just getting started around the island of Crete. Titus has been left. Paul was there, but Paul leaves, leaves Titus to, behind to be able to put some more things in order in the various churches, in the various cities. And these people are known liars. These people have a, their culture embraces manipulation, untruth, evil, and just self-centeredness. We saw that in chapter 1. That's what the culture was known for. That's the narrow context. And so let's go to our text because these people need to come to understand truth. Oh, and P.S., by the way, so do we. Okay? Titus chapter 2, verse 1. God, by the way, we pray that your word would be strong. We pray that our hearts would be open as we read and study. We don't need to invite you here. You are here. But God, I would pray that we would invite our heads to be with you. Thanks for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, who's the you? Titus, excellent. Okay, but as for you, so this is being written to Titus at this point. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Oh, this is an interesting little verse, this verse 1 here in chapter 2. It's kind of a a movement verse. Uh, Right before it, if you remember from last week, verses uh, 10 through 16 in chapter 1 are all about those people who are teaching false truths, undoctrine, unhealthy truths. And so here it keys in over onto the aspect of Titus. You're to teach. And by the way, teaching requires speaking. Well, duh. But here, I just want to make sure. Teaching is not just about studying. Teaching is not just about pondering. Teaching is not just about meditating. Teaching is not about retaining for myself. Teaching is about speaking. I just want to say, so often I think we in our culture, we have this idea that Christianity is all about my little head, my little world. But here, I just want to say, people who are influencers speak. They open their mouths and they speak. And they speak what? They speak that which accords, that which fits with sound doctrine. Now, the word here for sound, we've already seen this in chapter 1. It's talking about healthy. It's talking about, if you will, that which is on tune, that which is hitting the tone. It's sound, it's sound doctrine, it's not false truths, it's not fables, it's not about trends, it's not about philosophies, it's not about ideas, but it's truths. And by the way, it's truths about living. It's not conceptual ideas that hang in the realm of wiffle dust world. It's about truths that relate to life. Why do I say that? Because all of chapter 2 is about real living. He does not all of a sudden get in here and start talking about lofty thoughts and things just to ponder and like let's just be all religious pie in the sky out of connect from life. Truths are life. And I'm just going to tell you from my own personal story, I go back years ago and I used to think the term doctrine talked about all the egghead kind of stuff that people sit in a room and argue about. No, that's not doctrine. Doctrine is truths that relate to real life. 
There are no truths. It's never severed from our behavior. And we'll see that here in the passage. So by the way, Titus, you must speak which accords with sound doctrine. And if you will, this morning, that's my job here. What's the sound doctrine? Let me just give you a brief overview. Look at verse 2, older men. Verse 3, older women. Down in verse 4, the young women. Down in verse 6, younger men. Multi-generational. Love it. Love it. All right, here we go. Guys, you ready? Verse 2, full throttle senior men. You are on the table. I'm talking to you, by the way, P.S. I'm talking to every man in here because this is the trajectory to which we're supposed to be heading towards. Uh, Verse 2, older men are to be. Older men. Now, a good question is who are we talking about here? I mean, what's old? Because I don't know about you, but as time's going on, old is getting more and more old as we go. Uh, you know, Karen and I oftentimes we're talking with people and we're like, when did you get married? Oh, he got married like when Nick was born. It's like, what? <laughs> I'm not that old. Oh, yeah, I am. I am. So what is older in the text talking about here? Older in the text, the word here, it's kind of interesting. It's not used in a whole lot of places. But it is used in Philemon verse 9, and Paul uses it about himself. He refers to himself as an older man. By the way, when he was writing that, he was in his 60s, Philemon 9. Then over in Luke chapter 1 verse 18, it's used of Zacharias or Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's dad. And at that time, they couldn't have children, and so it's referred to him. It's understood that he's pretty much at least in his 60s. Okay, that's biblical. Use two areas where it's used biblically. Then when you go and you look at old ancient Greek secular writing, you take a look at it, and the word is generally used in that 60s area, but the least that it's ever used in secular writing is people in their 50s. I think it pretty much gives us a good idea on what age group we're talking about. We're talking about above me. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hey, listen, the age thing is great. The gray hair thing, it's great. Okay, it's really, we're really likely talking about the age of 60 and above. Okay, that's just kind of where we're in, generally in that category. And I think that just helps us to understand what we're talking about. So saying older men are to be, by the way, the verb here are to be is a present act of continuous. The things that we are about to read about, talk about, are not things that were the case once in our life, are not the things that were like last month in our life or 10 years ago in our life or 20 years ago in our life. They didn't characterize us at a point in time in the past. They're present, active, continuous. These are things, guys and older women, when we get in verse 3, that these are to be attributes and characteristics of you that are continuously displayed in your lives. Okay, here we go. Guys, there's six. Ladies, you have four. So let's have it at the guys. So older, R to B, six characteristics. Number one, what's it say? Sober-minded. He lives on purpose. A senior man of God lives on purpose. The word here has the root idea of not being intoxicated by something. Uh, you, you apply what it's talking about. It could be used for various things. It, it, in other words, I think here it's talking about someone who's not completely intoxicated by life. In other words, life just consumes them. Just life itself, just stuff of life 
things of life, activities of life, just life. You know, listen, we're engaged in life. But there's a difference between being kind of that idea of, oh, I'm so intoxicated by life itself. Life here on this planet so rocks. That kind of an idea. No, that's not what it's talking about. He isn't overindulgent with life. The enticements of life don't intoxicate. They don't control him. Instead, he's a man whose money and whose time and whose mindset and whose energies are selectively directed to life's real purposes. It's not controlled by life. He's one who sees life and uses life for its purpose as intended by God. It's a sober-minded. There's a sense where they're, they're, they're serious about life. They're not a boring monk out of touch or that's not unique. But he lives on purpose because he has a purpose. Oh, it's so intriguing to me and, uh, frankly, a great saddening irritation. The mindset today in our culture is retired means checked out. Retired carries oftentimes this idea that now life is about me. I've put in my time. I've done my duty. And now it's time to kick it back. That is so unbiblical. You have, as seniors, some marvelous unbelievable opportunities in life right now. I'm not saying life is easy. But I am saying you have incredible opportunity. You see, a man who is a full-throttle man for Christ looks at life and sees life with great soberness, with great purpose. And he's gonna, if he's going to live on purpose, he has to live the character of Christ. He has to live Christ-like character. See the second word, dignified. Uh, dignified is not talking about, you know, the nose up in the air, I'm a snooty tooty kind of a, you know, admire me because I'm older. Listen, there, there's clearly a respectfulness that is given to elderly, clearly so. But understand, this text is talking not just about elderly that are elderly. This is talking about those that are elderly and are kicking it out for Christ. Guys, how do you become a purposed man for Christ? By living Christ-like character. It's by being dignified. It's about being honorable because your character is honorable. You have been able to have the chance to live live life, to experience people and situations and hurts and disappointments and loneliness and blessing and victory and joy and all kinds of things. And the person who lives through all of that with character, Christ-like character, I want to tell you, as a 48-year-old man, or just on the edge of 48, I just want to tell you, I so admire that. I want to be like that. And if you're like that, I want to be like you. It's about a purpose man who's living Christ-like character. They're dignified with life. 
They're honorable because his character is honorable. If I'm going to have Christ-like character in my life, that means I have to be living a truth-driven life. The word here in the English is self-controlled. It's this idea that he thinks. He thinks through life. It's a great sense of personal responsibility. God has created me. God has given me years. And the reality is that you get more and more aware that the years are going to be ending at some point. You just do. I do. I'm telling you. It's vastly different being 48 than 38. And when you understand that life has a purpose behind it, and I'm seeking to live like Christ, we know that takes a lot of self-discipline, a lot of self-control. And it's the kind of person, if we're going to be self-controlled, it's a thinking reality. You've got to be truth-driven. In other words, I walk through life, you walk through life like this. You're looking at life because if I'm living on purpose, this has the purposes. And as I see life, I'm living it through the purposes of Scripture, and I'm living it in the Christ-like characteristics of reality because he's given me the great example of how to live. And that means I have to be truth-driven. You need to be truth-driven. Because I want to tell you, this is the opportunity to kick it back. This is the opportunity to be all about yourself at this stage of life. It so is that way. I mean, you can go to Florida, kick it out, kick back, and be exist until you see God. I just want to call you, I have to, verse 1. The truth of Scripture says, no, listen, yeah, you can go to Florida. Not uh, Jim and Carol just came back from Florida. That's not the problem. But it's the kicking back and being disengaged out of life. No, 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 no. We need you. Us younger folk, we need you. Don't leave us. And I'm not scolding you. I'm charging you. You are so important. Because God's family is about a multi-generational group of people living together for his glory. And we need your example. We need your wisdom. We need your years of purposed, Christ-like, truth-driven living. Self-controlled person thinks out life. He rejects that which doesn't fit to truth. And he Velcros himself to that which is truth. Fourth, he lives in faith. He lives faith. It says there, uh, he's sober-minded, he's dignified, he's self-controlled, and he's sound in faith. Again, this sound in has this idea of healthy, hitting the right note. He's hitting, the, he's hitting faith. He's living it out. Uh, older men should know the God of their faith. You've had time. You've had experience. You've had maturity. You've had the opportunity. You should know what it's like to trust God in every way. I'm uh, not perfect, but growing and changing. You've had more life experience to see God work, even when you're like, God can't work in this. And yet you have experiences where God has shown himself big in the times when you've been faithful and frankly in the times when you have not been faithful. You 
should be the kind of men that question God less, doubt God less, and waver less. Man, and I'm telling you, the generations below you need that. Sound in faith, they live faith. They also fit, they live love. <laughs> he lives Christ-like love. He knows what it is to bear one another's burdens. If you've been around, you've been able to bear it. If you've been married, if you've had children just with other people, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to have your plans thwarted. You know what it's like to have your desires all of a sudden kind of not get there. You know what it's like to also see some of these things happen. And love is a characteristic through that. You know what it is to be angry, and you know what it is to be bitter at times in your life. And you choose love. I've just observed, as a, as a, however, you know, in various stages of my life, I've observed it seems like when people hit latter stages, ages of life, that they either get bitter, or I've heard it said, they either get bitter or they get better. Have you been around older people who are just the younger generation? Have you been around older folks that are just like they are bitter about life? And it's just so sad. It's just so repelling, to be honest about it. Oh, but the man, especially the man, being that I'm a guy who loves and who carries himself with love. Oh, it's so attractive. It gives me so much hope. It's so cool. It's such a beautiful, or maybe we'll say handsome, characteristic. He lives faith. He lives love. And last, I just say he lives it consistently, steadfastness. He's lived it again and again. He's messed up again and again. But over the years, he's come to see the being self-disciplined, living truth for Christ-like character because he's got a purpose to live to honor God. He's seen doing that over and over again that the blessing is there and it's worth it. Again, the text isn't saying we need older men. I'm great with that. But I'll say this. We need that kind of older man. That's what the text is saying. And he's telling Titus, Titus, teach the older men to be that kind of a man. Guys, senior men, are these growing characteristics in your lives? If there's one of those areas that right now it's like, man, that's just not a characteristic of life. Okay, write it down. Let's get at it. Get after it. Grow in it. Work on it. Because this is the time for you. This is the time. This is the time to finish well. Listen, don't cross the finish line walking. Cross the finish line sprinting like you've never been able to sprint in your life. And the thought of it right now may hurt. <laughs> but sprint at the cross for Christ. Be this kind of man. This is the kind of man that is going to help us become a full throttle kind of a church. But it doesn't stop there. Older men, now older women. Older women, what a delight you are. Older women, likewise, are to be. This is, again, a present continuous reality. This is something to characterize your life on the whole, ongoing, as you move along, as things progress. 
You're to be reverent in behavior. In other words, you're to live high standards. Live high standards. By the way, have you noticed so far, in the, just a real quick side note, have you noticed so far in the book of Titus that this whole book, Paul is just like throwing out these words. Be this, 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 this. I mean, it's just like these short little, I'm to tell you, it's actually quite hard to preach through because you got to hit on all these. But I got to tell you, I cannot jump out of these and like lump them all into one cute statement. They're all important. And here as we go down these list of things, we get the women and we go, listen, senior women, you have high standards of living. You're to be reverent in your behavior. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing when you see a senior woman carry herself with character. I'm not just talking about ladies of the younger generations looking up to an older woman and going, she is so beautiful. You know, she just has this and she has that and she's had so, been able to travel the world or she's been able to, you know, whatever. No, no, no. We're talking here about the kind of thing where a younger woman looks at them and goes, that is the kind of woman with character I want to be like. I just revere her behavior. I honor her. Oh, my word, she just walks around with such class. It's kind of like she looks like Jesus. Just character and beauty and quality. Younger ladies, don't, isn't that true? You just look at that and you just go, oh, want to be like that? Want to be like her? Oh, older ladies, it's such a blessing to have you as a model. To have women like that, reverent in behavior. Their focus is on living a set-apart life for Christ. First Timothy 2, verses 9 through 11, kind of the sister passage of Titus, sister text, really, of Titus. It says, she properly adorns herself. She lives faith. She lives love. She lives sanctity. An older woman that lives high purpose standards. Oh. That's you, senior women. You are a blessing. Second, not slanderers. Uh, lives with a controlled tongue. It's really interesting because I think a lot of these, the way Paul has put them together, flow off of each other. A person with high standards can have a tendency to have a harsh tongue. You know, because in my day, it was this way, and with the younger days, it's, this is going on. Both are working, this is happening, and all this. And it's easy to get slanderous when you have high standards. Very easy. A gossip. It's about a false accuser. That's not reverent behavior. Here's the interesting thing you've got to understand about this word that makes this hurt. The word, actually, it's one word, carries the idea of the devil. It's diabolos, the devil. You literally could translate this, an older woman does not engage herself in devil talk. <laughs> That's how harsh God is on this, not slanderers. By the way, not hearers of it, not participants of it. The Bible is so practical because men generally have problems. If they're going to get into problems on being mean and cruel, it's generally physical. Guys, we kind of go duke it out and then go hang out. Women, the Bible over and over again applies the issue of gossip and the tongue. Oftentimes, not all the time, it's both, but oftentimes more than not is driven towards women because women struggle with this. And the tongue becomes a sword that cuts 
and goes after an older woman, a woman with a controlled tongue that's not slanderous, that speaks truth, is a beautiful thing. We need that kind of talk. Uh, she lives high standards. She lives with a controlled tongue. This one intrigues me. And she, older woman, senior woman, is not a slave to much wine. What? I just don't picture that. They live fully engaged. Okay. Why would Titus or Paul write this? Answer. Immediate context. Obviously, this was a problem at the time. I want to tell you, having been able to travel over into areas of the country that have been generations where people have had, been able to have, if you will, no say, no power, no capability, no involvement in their culture or choices of life, it is over and over again. You go to Eastern Europe and beyond, and alcoholism is the issue of the day. And it's especially nowadays over there, it's with men. Drink your brain out of reality because reality hurts. And it, it, Paul had to be putting this in there because this was a problem in the day. And I want to say it makes sense the more I've thought about this. Listen, women in that day, their heart, lives were hard. <laughs> no, no dishwashers. And by the way, no choice of who you're going to marry, generally. You got him. Oh. And living with him all those years, man, that can turn into bitterness very easily, right? So here they are living bitter. They, the women in that day really had no say. Just do your job like you're supposed to do. It's, that's the reality of it. What a situation of life just to want to drink your brain out of the reality. Because life hurts too much. It's so sad. It's so disappointing that I just want to check out. And so in that day, they checked out with a drinking. But let me bring it into today because the reason I put it's about um, trying to keep it on the positive with the lives with a controlled tongue and lives that are fully engaged. It's about senior women stay engaged. Don't check out. Not bitter, but better. You are at a primo time of life. This isn't about, oh, it's so sad you're older. What? What? You bring so much to the table. You have such life experiences and successes and failures. An opportunity to impact. This is the time. This is the time of life. You're in a primo place. And that means being fully engaged. Today in our culture, I think the not slaves to much wine can be applied to that in certain sectors with certain individuals. Alcohol, or I'd say with drugs, prescription drugs. I'm just going to veg out, or TV, or shopping, or controlling circumstances. I'm not going to let that ever happen to me again. So I'm going to control you and everything else. What? Like you can anyway. 
Oftentimes it can become disengaged just through busyness and through travel. Take this in the right kind of way. Even family. Where you're so engaged with family that you've lost the sight that there's more than just the biological family in the picture as a follower of Jesus Christ. Take that. I'm not kidding. I'm just saying, be careful. Senior women, God wants you fully engaged because he's got a job for you and has to be a major influencer. Look at the last one. We're going to stop here and pick up next week with the younger women. And by the way, they both go together. Look at it. They are to teach what is good. Oh, and let's just put it in context. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Well, let's just keep it on the teach. They're to teach what is good. It's one word. It's good teacher. Ladies, you're to be a good teacher. You're to teach what is good. You're to teach what is lofty. You've got the experience to do that. And this means if you are going to teach, senior ladies, look at me, whoever you are, I want for you to know that means you have to engage yourself because you don't go in a closet and teach. You don't teach in your living room and you, if, by yourself. This means you have to be engaged with other women that are teachable and download into them. By the way, guys, I think it's the same thing. The context doesn't bring it in directly, and I think part of the reason for that, it doesn't say, guys, you teach the younger men in this. It's very interesting. We'll talk slightly about it next week, but in it, I think it's when you look at other passages of Scripture and when you look at the context of the reality of life, guys were generally engaged around other guys, and the context of life was much more the younger men were around older men on an ongoing basis. Now, the women were as well, but it was more of a reality, just a normal thing of the day to where older men were teaching younger women. It was the, I'm sorry, older men were teaching younger men. That was just part of the culture. That was part of the leadership, part of the eldering, part of the reality of even the secular culture of the day. But I think here part of the reason why this is brought in so strongly is because that wasn't quite as much a part of the culture of the day for the ladies. They were involved with one another, but I think there wasn't as much teaching as there needed to be. And Paul is telling Titus, listen, Titus, you teach the older women. Older women, engage yourself with the younger women and teach them. Senior men and women, we need you here. Oh, Lordy, Lordy, we need you here. And if you will, here we are at kind of a, quote, contemporary church, music stylistically, whatever. A lot of people would say they're not going to church like that because they've got music like that and they don't have this like that like it used to be. I just want to tell you, you so rock. I love you here. We love you here, right? It's so interesting. You go up to Big Harvest in Chicago and you think you're going to walk in and you think you're just going to be see 20s and 30s. In fact, I had a, someone here come about six months ago and said, oh, I thought this was a church for 20s and 30s. And he said, I kind of look around. And I'm like, it's not. I'm like, yeah, in your face. <laughs> meant that in the best kind of way. But you know what it tells me? It tells me that you, I think like everybody else around here, is really serious about God's word and is serious about rejoicing and is serious about having impact. And thank you.
Thank you. But I also want to give you a call. It's not my call. If it were me, I'd say go to Florida and golf. But God says, this is killer time for you. This is the time. This is the time to engage in helping the generations coming after you. We need you. And we need you to be involved. Please, engage yourself. Because every time something like this gets talked on, here's the thought behind what's going on. What's the program that's going to help me be able to get involved with younger people? Here's, let me give you the answer to that. I've got an answer for that. Here's the answer. It's called life. It's called life. And so often, churches work to pro. and I'm not saying that's wrong, but so often work to program things together. And I'm just here today, just reading the text. And Paul wasn't telling Titus, listen, Titus, you got to get a play group together where there's the older women with the younger women. Oh, by the way, not a bad idea. And younger women, older women, maybe just go for it. There's an idea. Listen, in this, he's not saying put something together to force that to happen. He's just saying, listen, this is about being the kind of people that literally care. That care, first of all, for honoring Christ with my life. And therefore, this is the kind of thing where God has called me as a senior to be involved as a person who's living all this stuff out, not just for myself, not just for bringing glory to God, but bringing glory to God by engaging with the generations coming after me. Get engaged. And by the way, younger people, do you care? And I'm serious about that today because so often today, I'm just going to tell you, putting small groups together, who are the people that want to be with their age group of people? More than anybody, it's the younger people. And I completely understand that. And we're doing that. And I'm not like all about that. But I am saying this. There's a tendency for today for the younger people to want to be disengaged from being involved with those in the generation that's been happening. And I'm, this is a call for both. This is a call for generations to engage themselves together. So what are some ways to do that? i got some ideas for you. It's called life. And why should I do it? Because it's about family. Here's a couple ideas, just quickies. Maybe like have lunch together after church. There's a cool idea. You get to eat. And it's the kind of thing where seniors come on a Sunday and just plan not to have anything after church and try and pick someone up. You say, hey, you going far for lunch? I don't even know who you are. So? But you look younger than me. You know what? And here's the deal. Would you, would you want to go out for lunch? You just grab a lunch? Say, Let's go to McDonald's. Your kids can play in the playland. And you just go and you just be together. And I will guarantee you that that individual, those individuals, that couple, that family will cherish it. Go, have lunch together, 
Maybe here's another one, like connection groups. In the connection group, because uh, we do, we have, and it's great by me. I don't have a problem with it, but I also want to be careful about it. We have some connection groups that are, have, you know, if you will, the upper ages of life together. Here's an idea. Maybe call and find out what's a connection group of the younger age group of people and, like, do something together. I know that takes time. But I think God would be greatly honored by it. By the way, younger women, if you do have a playtime, have you ever thought about calling some of the seniors women and saying, hey, would you come? Oh, not to watch our kids, but just come to engage with us. Today is a call for seniors. God has given you a high calling, wonderful calling, and we're so grateful for you. Don't disengage. Engage. Youngers, we're coming next week. But engage yourself. Engage yourself. Care about. Do you care about? Well, I'm waiting for someone to come to me. Go. Let's pray.